Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten maidens who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those maidens rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while the door shut, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, but the door was shut. Afterward, the other maidens came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not know the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Um, how many of you have seen the movie Hook? Uh, most, a lot of us in the room? Yeah, it's good. It's an old movie now. It was made in like the early 90s, uh, starring Robin Williams. But the premise of the movie is that Peter Pan grows up. He becomes an adult. He gets married, he has kids, and he gets a job as a corporate lawyer. <laughs> and he forgets about being Peter Pan. He forgets about Neverland and Tinkerbell and Captain Hook and the Lost Boys, and he forgets how to fly and the whole thing. And instead, he becomes very obsessed with work. And it begins to have this negative impact on his family life. Because of work, Peter completely misses his, his son's championship baseball game. And this problem sort of comes to a head in this one scene where the family is out of town. They're getting ready for this special night out. And while they're all getting ready, work calls. And Peter picks up. And there's a crisis. And he's trying to manage it with his business partner. And while he's doing this, the kids come into the room and they're doing what kids do. They're playing loudly. And they're trying to like get their dad to join them in their play. And he kind of sho you know, shoves them off. And he's, you know, and there's this like building tension where he, the, the crisis is just getting more and more stressful and Peter's trying to deal with that and the kids are getting louder and louder and louder until finally Peter snaps and he whips around and goes, would everybody just shut up and leave me alone for one moment? And he turns to his wife, Moira, and says, Moira, get him out of here, will you? I'm on the phone call of my life. And the kids are ushered out of the room and then Moira whips around and comes to confront Peter and then the phone rings again. And do you guys remember what she does? She chucks his phone out the window <laughs> and looks him in the face, and this is what she says. She says, your children love you, and they want to play with you. How long do you think that lasts? We have a few special years with our children when they're the ones that want us around. After that, you're going to be running after them for a bit of attention. It goes so fast, Peter. It's a few years, and then it's over. And you are not being careful, and you are missing it. I am now going to sing Cats in the Cradle for all of you. Just kidding. 
If you don't get that joke, you can Google that song later. Um, Okay, so we are in the season of Advent, which is the time in the church calendar, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And it's the time of year, historically, where Christians remember that we are waiting. God's people in the Old Testament waited for hundreds of years for the coming of the Messiah. That is God's anointed king of promise who would set all wrongs to right and who would rescue God's people from their enemies. And 2,000 years ago, the Messiah did come. But we are still waiting for that same Messiah to come again. We are waiting for the Lord Jesus to return and bring about the consummation of the work he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. And we don't know how much longer we're going to be waiting. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back in another 2,000 years. Uh, But during the season of Advent, we have been in a sermon series where we have been looking at different passages that that talk about the apocalypse, right? That is the second coming of Jesus. And what, one of the first things we found out is that the word apocalypse, it doesn't actually mean like scary, terrifying, end of the world, everything falling apart. Rather, the word apocalypse in the Greek means revelation or like an unveiling. That when Jesus comes again, both he and everyone and everything else in all of history will be revealed, will be shown for what they have always been all along. Now, I don't know if you have ever gotten a chance to kind of read through some of the apocalyptic passages in the Bible, but you'll often find that there's this common command that will show up. Anytime, you know, the the end, the Jesus return gets brought up, there's also this command that will sit right alongside of it. it. And it's stuff like, stay awake, be alert, watch, right? You ever notice that? And the reason is that as Christians, we are called to active waiting. That as we are waiting for Jesus, that waiting is not like, you know, the waiting room at the doctor's office where you're just kind of biding your time until the doctor shows up. No, 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 no. There's an active, there's action that we are being called to. But what does it look like to actively wait? Well, that's exactly what Jesus talks about in our passage this morning. And what Jesus actually shows us is that he presents us with a very, very stark warning. A warning that's really like what Moira says to Peter. Hey, watch out, because if you're not being careful and you give your attention to lesser things, you might find out in the end that you've missed out on the most important thing. I don't know if you're like me and you've got crippling FOMO. That is fear of missing out. Uh, But lest we miss out, let's look carefully at what Jesus has to show us together this morning. Okay? And we're going to do, the way I'd like to organize our time together is I want to just ask a simple question. So if you're a person that you write things down to kind of help yourself think, write this question down. What has your attention? What has your attention? That's, that's kind of how, I, that's, I want us to marinate in that question this morning. That's going to kind of organize our time. Now, Jesus gives us this warning through a story, a story called a parable. And the context of the parable is that there's a wedding. 
And it, from what it looks like, it would have been a pretty typical wedding for ancient Israel. So the way wedding ceremonies worked at this time was that there would be this procession. The bride would start at her parents' house and she would walk through the village to, and she would arrive at her new husband's house, the groom. And she would be joined by the young maidens of the village. Some translations use the word virgins, but the basic idea is that these are just young women who are old enough to get married, but they're not yet married. So you could probably see some of the, there's some similarities in our modern weddings with the bride and her bridesmaids, right? Okay, so she would go through this procession, and when, when she and the, and the maidens would arrive at the groom's house, he'd open the doors, welcome in his new bride, and there would be this big, big party. They would throw this massive banquet, and everybody would be invited, and it might last for days, okay? And so let's pause for a minute here. And notice that there's a, this is where the hitch in the story comes, okay? That the groom is not there yet. So everything's kind of waiting. They're like, all right, when is this going to get... You guys ever been to a wedding and like the bride and groom haven't... They're like getting pictures and you're like... Okay, when is this thing going to get started, right? It's kind of like that. It's, it's taking a while. All right, now who does the groom represent in this story? I hope that's kind of obvious. It's Jesus, right? More than one place in the New Testament, Jesus is depicted as the groom. And the reason is that the Bible says that marriage is this picture of the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. We actually studied this more in depth back in the fall in our sermon series, Embodied, if you were here for that, right? But Jesus wants to have this intimate, loving committed, connected, eternal union with us, his people, right? So he is the groom. And as the parable suggests, and as we know, living 2,000 years after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he's taking a while, <laughs> right? He's taking a while. Now, before we move on to the next, the next thing, I just want to stop and notice something. What happens when the groom finally shows up? There's a party, there's a massive party. And that's actually exactly what we're told Jesus is getting ready for us when he comes back. One of like first items on his agenda is that Jesus wants to throw us the biggest party in all of human history. A banquet to end all banquets. A feast that will eclipse every party and gathering and celebration that we have ever seen or imagined. The book of Revelation calls it the wedding supper of the Lamb. Do you ever think about that? Like, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know intellectually, yeah, yeah, there's like a, the wedding supper of the land. That's going to come when Jesus comes back. But do you ever think about that? That at the heart of what Jesus is all about, he wants to celebrate you. He wants to throw you a party. Now, this is not the, the focus of the sermon per se, but I think it's important, and I, I just, I want us to maybe have one implication that we might think about throughout the week is, you know, one implication of that Jesus is preparing to throw us a big party is that as Christians, we should throw the best parties. If anybody should know how to feast together, it should be us. Now, what does it actually look like for Christians to feast together? Well, that's a sermon for another day. But just for a second, notice this. Jesus wants to feast with us. 
Now, let's get back to our parable. So the groom is delayed, or he's, he's taking his time, and everybody's waiting, and the story zooms in on the maidens. Now, who are the maidens in this parable? Well, who's waiting for Jesus to come back? Us, exactly, right? It's people who would call themselves Christians. Now, maybe you're here or you're online and you know you're not a Christian, right? You're here, maybe you're exploring faith. Maybe you got dragged here by a relative. I don't know, but you, you know, like, I, I don't really, I don't know if I buy into this stuff. So let me talk to you for a second. If that's you, one, I'm just really glad that you're here. Um, and, I, and I really hope that you feel welcomed at Central West End Church and that you feel free to just be who you are and where you are and you don't feel pressure to claim something of yourself that isn't true, okay? Um, but what I don't want you to hear me say is, okay, the, you know, the story is about Christians and so there's nothing for you here. Oh, no, no. There very much is something for you here, but the story's not aimed at you. Does that make sense? Like, Jesus is talking to Christians, but he knows you're listening. And there's something for you here. Is that fair? Okay, so just don't check out. Stick with me. All right, so there are these maidens. The maidens represent us Christians. But notice, even among the Christians, and among the maidens, there's this division. We're told that among the ten, five are wise and five are foolish. What makes the wise maidens wise? Well, they have these extra flasks of oil. Again, ancient world, they didn't have electricity back then, so lamps would have been fuel burning. So you have to have some kind of flammable substance to light the lamp. And if the groom took a really long time, whatever oil was in their lamps to begin with, burnt out, dried up, it's, it's gone. And you would need more oil to kind of restart the lamp, right? And so the wise ones have this extra oil, but the foolish ones don't. And when the groom finally shows up, they turn to the wise and go, quick, Give us some of your oil. And the wise ones say, no, you got you to go buy some for yourself. There's not going to be enough for both of us. Now, for not being careful, that might sound like Jesus is saying, don't share. <laughs> right? There are no free handouts here. You, everybody's got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Okay? Right. Now, the problem with interpreting it that way is, one, that sounds way more American than Christian. Two, Jesus contradicted that idea Throughout, I mean, he's, he was constantly talking about the importance of giving things away. Literally, in the same chapter, in the Gospel of Matthew, just a few verses later, he talks about his people are, like, what, what notes, what sets them apart is that they give of their time and their resources and their energies. Okay, so Jesus is not saying, don't share. So what is he saying? Well, I think what he's saying is that whatever this oil is, it can't be shared. By its nature, you either have it for yourself or you don't. And notice, for those that have this oil, or as an old preacher might say, this oil of readiness. If you have the oil, you're ready. When Jesus comes back, you're ready. But if you don't have it, you're not ready. And the consequence of not being ready, it says... The door is shut. You're not welcomed into the party. Which is a horrifying idea, isn't it? That the day would come and you're not ready and you're not welcomed into the banquet. So what is something that you either have or you don't have 
and not having it means that in the end Jesus turned you away. I mean, I think the simplest way to say it is the oil represents your faith, your trust, your following Jesus. You know, like, here's the thing, guys. We can benefit from one another's faith. Like, I can see you following Jesus. You can see me following Jesus. And now we're both encouraged to follow Jesus all the more. Totally. But I can't give you my faith. You can't give me yours. You either trust and have faith in Christ for yourself or you don't. And I think in a place like St. Louis, where we've got more churches than you can shake a stick at, right? Sometimes we just have to say it really plainly. It is not enough for you to identify as being a Christian. Like, just because you put Christian under religious views on your social media platform doesn't mean you have faith in Jesus. It is not enough for you to just go to Christian things like church or a Christian school or a seminary. It's not enough to just hang out with people who are Christians. You need to have faith in Jesus. Let me talk to the young people in the room for a minute. If, there, if, we, if we got a few, I think we, I see a few of you in here. Just because your parents or grandparents trust and follow Jesus, that is not enough for you. You need to follow him. You need to trust him. Because if you don't, in the end, when he comes back and all is unveiled, you'll be turned away. Now, I am not trying to manipulate people into doing something right now. I'm not trying to cause high levels of anxiety and terror in the room. Okay? But I don't want to shrink away from what Jesus himself says. So, the next question that would pretty obviously come up is, okay, well, do I have the oil? Do I have faith? How do, and if not, how, do, how do I get it? Where does it come from, right? Like, how do you get some oil in your life? Right? How does that happen? Well, great question. Jesus tells us explicitly in this command. He says, watch, therefore. Now, Many Christians over the years have taken this command and others like it because, you know, lots of, there are similar passages. And what they take it to mean is, okay, Jesus is calling, inviting us to this sort of hyper-vigilant, conspiracy theorist kind of posture where we're like constantly scanning the news and current events. And we're trying to piece together all of the signs make, so that we know, okay, if you're paying attention, if you can kind of read between the lines, then you'll know, okay... It's coming, it's about to happen, and all the horrible things that you read about in Revelation, you know, the wars and the famines and all the stuff, that's all about to happen, and I don't want to be caught by surprise, so I'm going to be ready, right? The problem with interpreting it that way is it literally runs against what Jesus says in the very same sentence. Watch, why? Because you don't know when it's going to happen, there are no signs to scan for. There's no conspiracy to unravel. Okay, there's no mystery to solve. It's simply just, Jesus says, you don't know. In fact, in another passage, Jesus says, nobody knows but God the Father alone. 
Okay? So what is Jesus telling us to watch? Well, notice, what is the reason the groom gives for turning away the five foolish maidens? Does he say to them, you don't have enough oil? No. Jesus said, if you have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, that can move mountains. Why? Because it's, at the end of the day, it's not about the quantity or the quality of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. Does he say, you don't look like bridesmaids. You don't talk like bridesmaids. You don't act like bridesmaids. No. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not by works. It's a gift from God so that no one can boast. He doesn't, he doesn't criticize them on like what, like you're not, you're not excited enough or you're not doing enough. Right? It's not about that. He just says, I don't know you. Now, we talk, we've said this many, many times here at Central Western Church. Biblically speaking, to, in biblical terms, when it talks about knowing, that's not mere intellectual knowledge. Okay? It's deep personal relationship. So when the groom says, I don't know you, right? He's not saying, I have no knowledge of anything about you. What he's saying is, we're not close. So, let's go back to the question. What is Jesus telling us to watch for? Well, the word watch means in Greek, it's the Greek word there. It could also be translated like, Pay attention. Give your, like, keep your focus on something. What is, so if having, if, you know, this oil is like, if having faith in Christ is really like, means we have a relationship with him. There's deep personal knowing of who he is. What would Jesus be telling us to pay attention to in order to maintain this relationship? That's not a trick question. <laughs> All right, if you want to have a relationship with somebody, a close relationship, what do you need to pay attention to? Them, right? Jesus is saying, give, pay attention to him. Now, let's go back to the question that we started with. What has your attention? What are you giving your attention to? Now, that might seem like a dumb question, okay? Because we live in what I've heard described in, by one author as we live in an attention economy. What we mean by that is that, we, you know, your attention in our kind of digital age is worth money, right? People literally pay to get little bits of time to throw out their messaging to you. So we are constantly being bombarded, like, buy these products, subscribe to this, subscribe to that, buy into this brand, follow this guy on social media, right? Pay attention to, get involved in this thing, get involved in that thing, or, you know, pay attention, look, look, look over here, right? And it's just like, we're just constantly being bombarded on all sides, but all the things in the world that, like, are paying to get our attention, on top of, all the things in just normal life that are barking at you for its attention, right? Like your job and career, your finances, your family, your parents, your siblings, your kids, or, you know, your friends, right? Or your, your health or your hobbies or like, you know, you're all like just your house or like the dog or just like there's just all the things in life that are just like, look, this needs attention. This needs attention. And, you know, and so when I ask the question, what are you giving your attention to? You might be thinking... Matt Creasy, what am I not giving my attention to? I don't know. 
right? And I feel that. It can feel very overwhelming, like, I don't know what to give my attention to half the time because there's just so much, right? But there's something that when all the chaos and all the noise is coming at you, you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know, right? There's always something that when that thing, when that person, they're on the phone, you're going you're gonna to kind of turn away from everything else because it's the phone call of your life. There is something that you go back to again and again, and, it's, and it's, got, it's got the real heart of your focus because that's the thing that you really love. It's the thing that you, feel, you know deep down. You maybe have never said it before, but you know, like, man, if I could just get this thing in place, if I could just kind of, you know, really get my hands on that, everything else is going to be fine. What is it? Because here's, and this is a really important question for us to ask you guys. Because here's the thing, and if you don't hear me say anything else today, if you forget everything else I've said, fine. But don't forget this, okay? Whatever you give, oh, we lost our place. Keep going. <laughs> okay, stop there. That's great. This is the thing I want you to remember. Whatever has your attention is shaping and directing your life. Whatever, whoever, has your attention is shaping and directing your life. It is shaping your life right now. Just like Peter, right? The thing you're really truly focused on, it, it affects the way that you relate to other people. It shows up in the way that you talk. Jesus himself said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you talk, what do you sound like? Who do you sound like when you talk? Fox News, CNN, your favorite social media influencer. Who do you sound like when you talk? Let me talk to the people in the room that may not, that would know I'm, I'm not a Christian. It is a good thing to hold us as Christians accountable for how we talk. Because when we start talking and we don't sound like Jesus, it means that we've lost our focus. What's shaping your life? Because it's not only if the thing that is really you're giving your attention to is not only shaping your life now, it's leading you somewhere. And at the end, when Jesus comes back, what you have been giving your attention to will be revealed. And if you've been giving your attention to lesser things, you might not be ready. I realize this is pretty sobering, serious, kind of maybe even a little alarming, okay? Um, but again, I want to kind of go back to the people in the room or maybe online that would say, you know, you're not a Christian, and you're kind of thinking, man, I'm going to be honest, Jesus kind of sounds like an insecure, you know, like drama queen, like, because you didn't pay me enough attention, you're not coming to my party. Is that what's happening here? Are you asking the question, is Jesus really worth the attention? Really? Because if he's like that, he doesn't sound like he is. Good question. You know, one, let's just say off the bat, Jesus does not need your attention. 
From all eternity past, Jesus has had the undivided attention of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He's been in perfect harmony, union, love, glory with them. God did not create you because he lacked something and you're there to fill the void. God made you just for the sheer joy of it. Right? He doesn't need your attention, but he wants it desperately. He wants it so bad. Why? Because he loves you. And I'll tell you this, if you're willing to dip your toe into trusting Jesus, if you're willing to give him some of your attention, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that Jesus wants your attention because he's been giving you his undivided attention all along. Before the beginning of history, Jesus saw you and he loved you deeply. And he said, that one, him, her, I want them to come to my party. I want to celebrate with them. And at the right time in history, Jesus bridged the impossible gap between the divine and humanity. And God himself became a flesh and blood human being. And if you ever read the Gospels, if you're with an eye for this, it'll astound you how many times it shows up. Again and again and again, we're told Jesus saw people. He looked. You've had Jesus' attention all along. And that attention took him to the cross where he lost the undivided attention of God the Father. In a horrifying moment, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's the answer to that question? He was dealing in that moment with everything that would get in the way of an intimate, loving, connected, eternal union with him and you. Is Jesus Jesus worth your attention? Friends, if you actually turn and look to Jesus, what you will see is that he looks back at you with what an old mentor of mine used to say. Jesus looks at you with honeymoon eyes. And there is nothing and there is no one that you would give your attention to that will look back at you like that. Is Jesus worth our attention? Church, what do we say? Yes, amen, hallelujah. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've never taken your eyes off of us. Thank you that even though our affection to you, towards you, our attention on you falters and it is imperfect and we do sometimes give our attention to lesser things, thank you that even even though that is true, your steadfast love never ceases. You remain faithful, and you have promised that even with, if our, we have faith as small as a mustard seed, that is enough, because you're the one who will carry us through to the end. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you too are not passively waiting, but you are actively preparing a place for us, and that one day you're going to welcome us in, and we're going to celebrate. Help us to live as people who are prepared to party. For your glory's sake, and in your name I pray, amen.